0: Welcome to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Rolling Stone Executive Editor Nathan Brackett. Today we're going to hear from Flea and Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We're also going to hear new music from Brandy Clark. And we're going to talk about great bands that started out with terrible band names. Now we're going to do our What We're Listening To segment. I'm here with John Dolan, Record Reviews Editor. What's up, John?
1: Hey, Nathan. You've been listening to the Brandy Clark record, a little bit of country music. I have been. This has been a fantastic year for groundbreaking country records. There's the Sturgill Simpson record. There is this new record by Maren Morris um, called Hero. And now there's this uh Brandy Clark. It's called Big Day in a Small Town. She debuted a couple years ago with a record called Fourteen Stories with song titles. Some of the song titles were uh songs like Hung Over, Take a Little Pill, The Day She Got Divorced, Illegitimate Children. So you can kind of see where she's coming from. A, a little darker hard, than a little darker, like Bro kinda,
0: Country that's out there. Exactly, right. Kind of
1: hard scrabble, taking Loretta Lynn to the f- nth degree kind of stuff with small, with those kind of that kind of storytelling. She's buddies with uh, Casey Musgraves, they've written together, um.
0: along with Shane McAnally yeah, too, who's a big songwriter. I mean, it's inter- one thing that's happening now in Nashville that I feel like I'm I'm seeing more as an outsider is just that more songwriters are getting big as artists, which is not always the way it goes. Like Chris Stapleton was a songwriter before he he made it very big last year. He was probably the biggest country artist last year, and now Brandi Clark seems to have like be having a real breakthrough as an artist.
1: Yeah, and what makes this record great is the way it kind of sticks to traditional kind of country storytelling and themes, but it's she likes gravelly guitars, it's catchy the, the right. rhythms are, are great it's right. it's not like, she, it's not a rejection of the kind of pop side of Nashville right. that you'd get from like Taylor Swift or whatever it's from the old days, you know It's, it's, the, a, it's and this a, is
0: definitely not like alternative country no. you know, it's not like the drive-by truckers or something this is this is like working within the Nashville system, but like kind of pushing it in different directions.
1: Yeah, and I think that's been the big, like you say, the big difference is there was this sense that if you're going to be serious you have to be austere, and this is you know, the strudel Simpson record is got soul music on it and it's an epic production and this record has thick kind of catchy beats and like kind of fun guitars and the, and the melodies are catchy and its courses are catchy but they deal with some of the deepest most essential kind of subject matter that country has been talking about you know obviously for almost a century. It's, it's a record of small town vignettes. Um, well what are the songs that you've been uh, listening to? Well the title track is this song it's uh, called Big Day in a Small Town. Oh,
3: it's a big day In a small town
1: there ain't no house, no Waffle House. It's this kind of series of tragic comic small town grotesques, I guess. There's a guy drives to see his buddy's football game while he's drinking, and he crashes his pickup and flips it over just as the kid. His buddy scores a touchdown. There's a line, somebody went to Walmart, nothing but a nightgown. There's stuff like that. It's just kind of like when you drive through a small town, and you kind of think there's nothing going on here, but all the little stories inside it kind of in almost like a... Sinclair Lewis or Sherwood Anderson kind of sense. And then there's another one called Homecoming Queen about kind of when you, you know, I don't know, you're, run, you're on Facebook and run into somebody and you're like, oh, wow, what happened to them? Ten years later, they look pretty rough.
3: Twenty-eight shouldn't look this old, but the last ten years sure took their toll on the girl in the picture with the plastic
2: crown, and- Sequin dress wouldn't fit her now.
1: The story behind, you know, you were the homecoming queen. Now, you know, you're staying with your husband because you love him, but it's not easy. You know, your looks are changing. You're kind of tr- coming to terms with a new reality. And she gets inside these perspectives in. Um, Th- those are the kind of songs that I feel like are still happening a lot in Nashville that other
0: musics just don't do that well, you know?
1: Well, in, definitely in terms of just the, the sort of empathy and. The intelligence with these things are kind of taken out. It's true. They are stories about the way American life is lived and told in a way that's like direct, but also kind of fun. There's a lot of sense of humor in, in these songs. One of them is called Three Kids, No Husband. She lights a
3: cigarette out on the balcony. When she gets a couple minutes to herself.
1: This one's actually a pretty dark one, but it's kind of like, you know, the life of just someone who she had a lot of talent. She probably had a lot of charisma and smarts, but like, you know, got pregnant, has three kids, husband's gone, works in a diner, like lives in the the small apartment, goes out on the porch to like have a cigarette and think about it. And just kind of like what it's like inside that life. The last song on the record is sung from the perspective of someone talking to their dead dad and kind of saying, boy, you know, I'm glad you're not around to see all the things that are happening wrong with this town and with America in general. But at the same time, if you were around, you could help me kind of figure them out. And
2: I hate you had to leave us.
3: Glad you did to see this. The broken pieces of the family you
1: made. It's very moving. And there's some songs on here that if you can get through them without like, being a blubbering puddle of, you know... <laughs> Of of, of of sentiment. You are uh, made of starchier stuff than I am, I guess. It's a really, really moving record. <laughs> Proceed with caution. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> All right well, it's a big day in a small town, and
0: that's out now. The other uh, album you've been listening to a lot lately is the new one from uh, Mitski, another uh, female singer-songwriter.
1: Yeah, basically. I mean, in some ways, not dissimilar. Like, Definitely, this record is called Puberty 2. It's her second album. It is already being kind of championed as the breakout indie rock album of of the year, I think, along with I guess the Car Seat Headrest album. Not and
0: to we've too talked added. about one of her songs, "Best American Girl," before on the podcast. But this, now the, the whole album is out. The whole
1: album's out this week. So quickly, who is Mitski? Uh, her name is Mitski Miyawaki. She is a songwriter, singer, uh, in living in Brooklyn. But her background is uh, kind of is a she grew up was born in Japan, lived I think in the in the Congo for a while, lived around the world a little bit before her family settled in America. And that kind of sense of in betweenness and identity that's kind of in flux is a big, big theme of her songwriting. And it's also kind of comes out in the music itself, which kind of skirts a lot of different genres. You can hear Bits of, there's, you know, Sharon Van Etten kind of indie rock songwriting. You can hear little bits of like Liz Fair and P.J. Harvey, but you also hear maybe elements of kind of art pop, Kate Bush, um, uh, St. Vincent, uh, Tune Yards. The first song on the record, the rhythm track is just a CD skipping for a little while. And it develops into this real kind of like funky sort of sax solo song that's got a lot of kind of, it's like, uh, it's called Happy. And it kind of gets to that theme of like not necessarily having sure footing. Record is all these kind of moments throughout that, that, that kind of reflect that. One of the songs she says, "I am the fire, I am the forest." It's like, you know, where do I fit? In? It's almost like a Heisenbergian problem of kind of <laughs> where you're going to sit in the world. One of the songs is called, as, as you just mentioned, "Best American Girl," which is kind of her attempt to. It's a slow, um, kind of my bloody Valentine guitar. It's kind of a slow indie rock battle that's basically her kind of figuring out how she, you know, she falls in love with someone who's not from the same background and, and she kind of talks about how, you know, your mom might not like the way my mom raised me, but I do. And it's kind of what kind of identity am I going to have as an American? Is it going to be an identity in flux? Is it going to be an identity based on determination where I embrace my own identity? What what kind of person am I going to have to be to experience a kind of pure American desire, which the, the lyrics early on in the song kind of address this kind of sense of, you know, just unmitigated just enthusiasm and love, but it really runs into this problem of a cultural divide and how do I bridge that? And it's it's a very powerful song.
0: And a lot of these songs just have, have a real sweep, too, and then build. Well, the out. element itself,
1: yeah. you're right, and the element itself is kind of, it's her first record, uh, which came out a couple of years ago, was, was good you know indie singer songwriter stuff like close to kind of a Sharon Van Etten but this album it's more shapely it's more rhythmic it's more it go it it flows between different styles more more fluidly uh it it, it almost feels kind of cyclical and so sort of these themes come out i mean it's called puberty 2 it's about awkward growth and and it, you can go from a raging fast uh distorted rock song to a song that might recall for some people uh, Lana Del Rey.
0: It's, it's interesting that you you are seeing like along this, I'm thinking of the Car Seat Headrest record too, like mi- both Mitski and Car Seat Headrest are of this generation of indie rockers who broke everything down to this spare 90s lo-fi level, both started out at that home recording level and now are, are like kind of learning how to make albums, you know, uh, and it's, it's interesting to see them grow.
1: Yeah, I, I, I really agree, and this is a this is an example where with both of these people you just wonder that what they could do next and, and where the next chapter of this could go because there's so much possibility and so much talent. And you're right, I do think that kind of like spending a bu- getting to write as much as possible and like I mean she's not quite the same where she's not throwing a tons of songs on the internet, but there is a sense of kind of like getting a lot of that out of your system for making ready for these big leaps. And these records are both big leaps.
0: All right, the Minsky record, *Puberty 2, is out this month. And I encourage people to check it out. That's it for what we're listening to. Thanks for coming on,
1: John. You bet. Thanks, Nathan.
2: Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.
0: And we're back. That was We Turn Red off the new Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Getaway. I'm here with associate editor Andy Green. Hi. What's going on? Not too much. Andy, you just talked to uh, Flea and Chad Smith from the Chili Peppers about their new album. Can you tell me a little bit about it?
3: Yeah, sure. You know, it's sort of bizarre, but they've been around for 35 years, which is a shockingly long time for a band that seemed to personify youth for for so long, you know, but they've been working with the same producer since the early '90s, Rick Rubin. Who would have thought when they were putting socks on their penises <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah. in, in the early '90s that they would still be here? Yeah, they got 35 years, and they survived so many awful things. They lost their founding guitarist, and John Frusciante. How slow back. Yes, and then Frusciante joined, and he gave him all his new energy. And then he left. Then he came back and did a huge comeback. Then he left again. Right. and I think you
0: could argue that their kind of, golden time, I would say, for my money, in, yeah. the, in the 90s was when John Frucianti was in the group.
3: That's when they did the album with, you know, uh, Scar Tissue, uh, yeah, that Californication. Was, yeah, in the late 90s, when he came back, they had a huge resurgence. And then he left again, and he was a huge part of their sound. And on the last album, in 2011, it was decent, but they had this new guitarist, Josh Klinghoffer, that they just hired. And they, they hadn't quite gelled yet. He had been their touring
0: guitarist for a while, and they kind of made him a full member. Yeah, was like, you get to take your shirt off now.
3: Yeah, basically, yeah. And with this album, they felt it was time for a change. And the biggest change was they dumped Rick Rubin, who had done every record back to Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Right. I mean, that's. A As re- you said,
0: for about 25 yeah, years. Yeah, that's a really right.
3: long time. Right. And they decided to bring in Danger Mouse. So, Danger Mouse, Brian Burton, yeah. you know,
0: first uh, gained widespread notoriety after producing uh, Crazy as part of Gnarls Barkley, and now has become kind of almost like a Rick Rubin-like figure. He's like the kind of cool producer for big rockers. He's
3: basically seen as the one producer that can get rock bands on the radio. Right. Which is a really hard thing to pull off these days. He produced the last U2 record. uh, Right, Right, most of it. Most of it. And the Black Keys record, Beck.
0: He sort of gave a big boost to the Black Keys. You could argue like the Black Keys kind of wide success was.
3: Yeah, he took this sort of blues rock duo, and all of a sudden they have huge radio hits and they're playing arenas. Right. And it's really thanks to him. So the Chilis were smart to try and sort of latch on to his power, but he wanted them to really do things differently. Right. You know, this is a band used just jamming together in a studio and writing songs. And Danger Mouse, he's from hip hop, he wanted them to just write songs in the studio, start with a drum, and then just layer on top of it and write with him. Right, It's a huge departure
0: They also had some uh, Along with the, the big shift Away from uh, not using Rick Rubin Which is a big change for them uh, They also uh, Flea talked to you about
3: A uh, pretty serious accident That he had Right uh, A few months ago so Yeah They were just about To start making the album About a year and a few months ago And he was snowboarding And he fell And he broke his arm So let's hear some of your uh, Interview from a few days ago With Flea First just tell me the story About breaking your arm While snowboarding
2: Oh, dude, it was crazy. I was in uh, this like fancy ski resort in Montana. I had been snowboarding for three days, like having the greatest time of my life. And the funny part of the story is this: I was snowboarding, doing runs. It was me and Anthony, and we ran into Lars was a drummer from America up there. Yeah, and and he had a house up there. So we're snowboarding, you know, we're snowboarding down. Lars's kids and me and Anthony. And for, like rocking down the mountains at like, Cootamundra and hawing, having the greatest time. And you know we have the same managers, that ma- uh, the Metallica and Chili Peppers have the same managers. Uh-huh. And um, at one point I like we stop we have a cup of tea, whatever. And I said, Lars, we should, we should, like, take a picture of one of us lying in the snow, like, all misshapen and stuff. <laughs> you know, like Pollyanna, when she fall off the house, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, take a, a picture and, and trick a coup, coupon that one of us broke your leg, you know?
4: Uh-huh. And we're
2: like, oh, ah, oh, 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 laughing about it, you know, and we get back. And then, we like, literally 40 seconds later, I'm, like, jetting down this mountain going, like, 50 miles an hour. And I just wiped out so bad. It was just kind of a weird... Thing I couldn't see, and I hit this flat spot in the mountain, and bam! And I just snapped my arm, man. I broke it in like five places, got really bad nerve damage, big pieces of bone got shorn off. And I just completely fucking thrashed my arm, and um, and it was a you know big, big, complicated surgery to get it all back right. But in six months of uh, not being able to play bass, and well, so up, play, that would did they life flight you to a hospital, or or what happened? Yeah, no, well, they, they they just like stuck a jar of Vicodin like, down my shirt, and um and no, yeah, no, I was like I was like I got it was, like, on a morphine drip in an ambulance, went to the hospital in Montana, and I went back to L.A. to have the surgery done. And it just man, it was hard. It was like you know, it was yeah. a very difficult, painful, sad experience. And this was how long ago did? Did this happen? This is, like, it happened in February of last year. Oh, okay. So, you know, so, yeah, and so, and, and, and you know, we were just about to go record our record then. Right. And I never, and everybody told me that I was so bummed, and, and it just kind of dawned on me that, we, you know, that I was, you know, I felt like I let everybody down, we couldn't go record our record, we had written all this stuff, and, you know, man, I was just really, really sad, and, and then I turned to a lot of rehab process, and, you know. Luckily, I had a really great surgeon, and um, I got better. And now, you know, I'm totally
3: back on top. Yeah, you know, I think the key part of why you guys have lasted is you and Anthony are so close that you spend your free time together. You know, there's so many bands at this point where the members just hate each other, and and it corrodes everything. It corrodes the music and the concerts. But you guys have managed to really stay tight. Yeah,
2: well, you I mean, we've gone through our phases. It's it's you know, I mean, we definitely like I love that guy. Right. I mean, I do- and I'm in love with him. I love him. He's like fucking oh, it. You know what can I say? You know, uh-huh. and I feel like our relationship is some kind of weird psychological study. If I think about it, like how almost like a north and a south magnet, that they kind of repel each other, but they have to be together for to, to the earth to live kind of vibe. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Like you know, it's kind of like our relationship is a, is a trip. You know, but we just have always, you know, like and before even before the band, it was always just like this real powerful thing when we were together and just always would like just start mixing shit up and creating chaos and freaking out the squares you know it's kind of how it's always been but uh but I you know I, I was thinking earlier today because I was you know I've been doing interviews all day someone asked me kind of a, a similar question and and you know and I, and I was thinking about like you know different because there have been times when we like would sulk and be mad and not talk to each other and fucking you know be, get our feelings hurt by each other and and I think, like, you know, it's like in the beginning when we were young, we really needed each other. You know, it was like we both were just kind of street kids and we were on the street. And we became best friends and we spent all the time together. And we kind of, like, you know, we relied on each other to be there for each other. But then, like, you know, around the time Blood Sugar came out, and we first, like, you know, we got a million dollars and a nice house, a car and all this shit, you know, a washer and a dryer and a fancy rug. You know, it's like all of a sudden, it's like our lives became really separate, you know? We weren't like living in a little apartment together anymore. And we had different different sets of friends and different, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. things got different. And and, and and there was a lot of, you know, we'd have a lot of, like, anger and, and judgment on in our friendship. It was really difficult. Uh, like, I just feel like, it's like now we're just in this place where it's just like, we, we know there's like, the whole thing is just so much nicer when we can just, like, be relaxed and happy and supportive of each other. And even be supportive of each other when we don't agree, which has taken us a long time to learn how to do it, you
0: know? And that was Flea. It's true. Like, the core of the band is definitely, like, his friendship with Anthony uh, Kiedis. But you also talked to
3: Chad Smith.
0: who's kind of become this figure in his own right, you kind of had a funny exchange about how he's become
3: kind of a a duo with Will Ferrell. Right. I talked to him maybe four years ago. I brought up Will Ferrell. And he's like, yeah, I'm aware that we look alike. I have met him once, but that's about it. But since then, they've realized they look so much alike.
0: Since then, it's become a whole thing on the the Jimmy Fallon show with drum-offs.
3: They first went on Fallon. They did this awesome drum-off where they dressed alike. And then they've been doing these charity things where they do drum-offs with huge all-star people that come in. And Chad is a naturally really goofy, funny guy, and Will Ferrell is Will Ferrell. It's a, a very unlikely comedy duo that the two of them have formed, which is just a very odd side project for the drummer and the Chili's to be doing a whole comedy thing.
0: All right. Well, let's hear uh, a little bit of Chad talking about this.
3: I spoke to you maybe three or four years ago, and at the time, you told me that you barely knew Will Ferrell, and and now the two of you are like this new comedy duo. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> I,
4: don't know, but I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be making Step Brothers two or three or whatever <laughs> it is. Anytime soon, but you know, who knew that people would get to go go so crazy because two guys kind of look like each other and did some kind of kooky drama off on television and. And it turned into this big thing, and and so we were like, God, why don't we just, you know, let's let's do some good with this, you know? And <laughs> and uh, we did this event at the Shrine recently, and and raised a bunch of money for two great causes. And you know, he got his his comedic pals to show up, and I brought in the music and the drummers, and it was really fun, man. It went really well. It was about as good as it can go, I think. And. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's amazing. And, uh, you know, I still lost the drum off again. I'm I'm like, I'm like, I'm like the Washington general. Never gonna win no matter what. He brought Mick Fleetwood in the freaking USC marching band. That's not
3: fair? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. That's deeply unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Bullshit. So,
4: um. Yeah, I had Stuart Copeland and Tommy Lee, Taylor from the Food. I had a good team. Yeah. He had like a kid and Fred Armisen who can play is great. But, you know, and he brought in the ringer and it was all over. Yeah. But no, we, we, we had a great time with it. Everybody was, was was happy to be there. It was a good energy and um, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, God, that was just so funny. I didn't know what to expect. And, right. And you know, Devo came. It was great. Yeah, it was a good night. So, we're, who knows, we may do it again. I mean, I was, yeah, and, and again, it's great to be able just because a couple guys like sort of look like each other. You know, we can raise you know millions of dollars.
0: It's great. It's great. And that was Chad Smith. So, what do you think is going to happen with this record? Like, it's kind of a, the Chili Peppers are an interesting place because I mean, they they are a band, as you said before. You know, that's. Yeah. Kind of a little bit like the Stones, but even more so or like always been about just like, you know, energy and like right. you know, rock and roll and slap
3: bass and taking your shirt off and like how how does a band like that get older? Well, I think for any rock band in twenty sixteen, you're fighting gravity. There's no rock radio, there's not a huge infrastructure that supports rock anymore. And particularly for a band that's been around for as I said for a third of a century. You know, it's very easy to tour and play your hits, but actually, to get momentum on new songs. I mean, you could say that you're fighting
0: gravity, but it's—I I would argue that it's like a lot of these bands are still playing in arenas. I mean, you know, you're not—you're not, you're not fighting the gravity. In this, you're fighting gravity in the traditional you know, record company sense that you're not going to get played on, or like, ha- right. going to have a hit. But you yeah. can still play the Barclays. Center. Oh, sure, you
3: can play the Barclays Center and be an oldies act. But you're fighting gravity. And you try and move forward and really have something that you do new that makes a big impact. The thing is,
0: it's tricky because even a new band like Vampire Weekend like right. isn't getting much radio play per right. se. But then they'll play an arena.
3: Yeah, true. But they're the exception, perhaps, and they I'm can't questioning play. Questioning Are- your negativism. Well, I'm can Vampire Weekend play arenas outside of Brooklyn. No, they're a theater. Act. Well, that's the question. Yeah, we'll see uh, in our episode yeah. about the next Vampire yeah. Weekend album. This uh, fall. But the core of the group is still Flea and Anthony. It's been that way since they were in high school. And they've been through five drummers, five guitarists or something, you know, but it's still the two of them and they're still very tight, which is sort of rare. If you usually have like a Joe Perry and Steven Tyler or a Mick and Keith, there's always a lot of problems right you know it's just two people it's hard to accept that you need somebody else to do what you do and they always learn to sort of hate each other but the two of them you know flea told me they've had some rough spots but they were they remained very very close and when flea broke his arm he was with anthony Kiedis, right you know they hang together when they're not recording or on tour all right, well, you know, we'll see what happens. I think it's, it's a very strong record the fans are going to enjoy. I think Danger Mouse has brought a ton of just fresh ideas, and I, I think it's their best record since Stadium Arcadium. It felt
0: like it was definitely a time when the band needed to change things up and we'll see how people respond, and you know, it, it's truly, yeah, I, I don't see a, them you know, having maybe a, a breakthrough hit at this point in their career, but I think if they make a record that just like their core fans enjoy, it'll be good for them.
3: Right, yeah, I think that is sort of the best case scenario these days. When a band like U2 tries to get a huge radio hitter to whatever, it and backfire, then cause they failed to do that, but the hardcore fans, they feel that, they sold out, and sort of, you don't win. If you play to your strengths and your fans, you can often do better, I think.
0: All right. Well, we're going to move on from the Chili Peppers now into our reader mail section. Andy, you're going to stick around, and we're okay. going to talk about some of the mail we've gotten for a feature we actually did like a year ago, which I quite enjoyed, but people are still uh, commenting on on RollingStone.com. This was a feature on terrible original band names from uh, famous bands. Andy, do you wanna take us through some of the the highlights of, of this
3: uh yeah. of the, the worst names ever by yes. uh yeah, sure. from bands that became famous? I mean Simon and Garfunkel were Tom and Jerry because they didn't wanna sound Jewish, but maybe going after a cartoon cat and mouse wasn't the best <laughs> idea either well that
0: actually that actually
3: you know that that brings to mind a letter from a reader
0: this is a a comment from somebody named with a username The Mm Mick actually the final names in many cases aren't much worse or better than the original names for example why is Tom and Jerry one of the worst original names of a band and why worse than Simon and Garfunkel
3: I can defend this I think when you hear Tom and Jerry, you have, your first image is a cartoon cat and mouse. It is not of, of like gentle folk songs. It's just they took pre-established names of a different duo, right? and it was a dumb idea. And, and I'm sure they that, acknowledge that. It sounds We're,
0: like it could be like a novelty band or yeah, something. Yeah, when right? it's really
3: serious great music, where Simon and Garfunkel... You know, that's a mouthful, but those are their names. It's authentic. You know, the time that when Bob Dylan was not Robert Zimmerman, they decided to st- stand firm by their actual names, and I think that's admirable, where Tom I, and Jerry is stupid. I hear you. I hear you. What were
0: some of your uh, personal least favorite well, names on this list? Pearl
3: Jam were first Mookie Blaylock, the name of an NBA player at the time. Right. And not only is it a stupid name for a band, it's a guy's actual name who was going to sue them probably, so it was just... Pretty stupid. Uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony were the Band-Aid Boys, which I don't really see. That's horrible. And the Beach Boys, they were the Pendletons. Right off the shirts they wore, and they didn't even name themselves the Beach Boys. It was just it was a name that was just given to them by their first label. Like a Pendleton is like a plaid shirt. Right. So think about how
0: like the course of history would have been changed. They would have been doing songs like in the about the woods of Canada. Right. And maybe, (laughs) you know, um, living in an
3: alternate universe. Whereas Beach Boys is a name that they haven't loved historically through the years either. And in the 70s, Brian was talking about changing the name of the band to Beach. Because they weren't boys anymore, but the Mike Love is like, "Are you kidding me?" No, you know it's it's the Beach Boys forever. I personally,
0: I like uh, Radiohead's original name, which was On a Friday. Which I I just you just can't see people like losing their heads in Madison Square Garden to like kind of the the
3: awesome
0: pseudo psychedelic songs
3: by On a Friday. No, no, it was was definitely smart to change it to just like Radiohead. And the Cure were called the Obelisk. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's no good. Which kind of has like a 2001
0: kind of like uh, feel to it.
3: And the worst, right. Creed's original name was Naked Toddler, which is a shockingly bad name. <laughs> <laughs> it implies so many things that you, that shouldn't be implied with a band name. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, they're probably graded
0: on a curve because they are Creed. Yes. You know, so.
3: Yes, they're a crappy band that we all hate, but they, right. they, you shouldn't be called
0: Naked Toddler.
3: All right, let's read a couple letters.
0: Um, all right. This is from a reader named James Hyken. How about the Warlocks, who changed their name by randomly opening a Funk and Wagnalls dictionary and pointing to an entry, Grateful Dead, a literary motif where a corpse is rescued from desecration by a good Samaritan who later receives assistance from a stranger, the spirit of the Grateful Dead. How about them? Yeah. That's- but the Warlocks is a pretty good name. To start yes, with. I think right. they just, didn't they have a, um, a copyright issue or something? Because there were a UK band called the Warlocks? There might have been an issue. That sounds right. If not, That's a they problem. Just, it was yeah. something
3: that they had to deal with. Right. But the Warlocks is not a terrible name, so I don't think they deserve to be on this list. All right.
0: Uh, okay, this is just kind of a more random comment from a user named Rob. I think we can all agree that the Partridge family <laughs> is the best band name of all time.
3: Well, I don't agree with that, Rob, and I question the Partridge Family are a band. Even, I mean, I guess so. If the monkeys are a band, who I, I think I love,
0: the Partridge Family get in. If the monkeys are, a I band. guess David
3: Cassidy sang the songs, but it's not like Danny on Ducci was actually playing bass or anything, you know. But
0: okay, and this is from
3: a uh, user named Stony P Slap. <laughs> mm-hmm. Soft White Underbelly
0: was first formed at the House on a Hill. After a Country Joe and the Fish concert at SUNY Stony Brook in 1967, so Soft White Underbelly became—he's referring to—it's Blue Oyster Cult. You know, Blue Oyster Cult is no great shakes either. I'll have to say, but that's better um, than Soft White Underbelly. You know, again in that alternate universe, maybe we, we would have just gotten used to Soft White Underbelly, and, right. and we would be laughing about this—you know, this world where right. they were named Blue Oyster Cult, but which is come on. You but know? don't
3: for the Reaper or Blue Oyster cult. It's sort of all I satanic a little bit. It's like. what we're used to, maybe.
0: Anyway, I'm yeah. going to finish Stony Peace Lap's comment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> band, the former Soft White Underbelly, were so loud that a noise complaint was called in from a mile away. I left as the police were arriving. By the way, one of them still owes me $3. <laughs> well, at least he knows what they're named now. <laughs> I hope Stony Peace Lap gets his $3 yeah. someday. Yeah, probably not. Uh, why don't we just end with a couple more of our favorites? We, these. Should,
3: we should read Vinny's letter because I want to respond to him.
0: <laughs> okay, this is from a user named Vinny Stafford. Yeah. Okay, interesting article, but I think you should have done a little more research in regards to KISS. Wicked Lester, which is uh, their original name, Uh, Supposedly, I agree is a horrible name for a band. However, it was the band Simmons and Stanley were in prior to forming Kiss. It was not
3: the original band name. I can defend this. I personally wrote the entry about Kiss, and in the entry, I explain it was a different band. But if it's Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And they were together in that group and they started a brand new group as soon as it ended and many of the Wicked Lester demos have been released on KISS Box sets. It's the proto history of KISS and and to me that counts as the original name to some degree enough to be. I think we can accept that. Yes. I mean, considering that Stanley and Simmons are
0: now touring with two guys who are not yet Ace Frehley and Peter Chris and right. they're still Kiss.
3: Yes, that they could right. be Kiss when they were Rick like and Lester, too. All
0: right. I'm I'm just going to name two more uh, band names, which I think unequivocally, they were right to toss aside. Okay, that— uh, one of them was uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, who were originally the Salty Peppers. <laughs>
3: yeah, which that's just, no there's good. Just nothing
0: good about yeah, that. Yeah, that's not good. And then finally, I, I would have put this one uh, number one: uh, the Doobie Brothers. Again, yeah, the Doobie Brothers—not maybe not the best name, but it's, it's you <laughs> know it, it rolls off the tongue. Their original name was Pud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah Which is just idea. Yeah, There's nothing Horrible. good about that Yeah,
3: it's particularly bad
0: All right Well, well, Andy, thanks for uh, sticking around For the Reader Mail segment Of course And that's going to be it For Rolling Stone Music Now today If you like what you heard Please leave a review On the iTunes Store Or wherever you get your podcasts